Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. The Kinky Cast is heard in over 150 countries. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Today, we present episode 297, Just Rob, Leather Leader. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. On the line with me from Jacksonville, Florida, is Just Rob. How are you, Rob? I'm great. How are you? I am great this evening. You pricked my interest here back about a month or so ago. We got a a writing thing going back and forth, and you should be on the show, I said. And uh, (laughs) you got got a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, One of the things that I, I find really interesting is... You identify as a leather reaction junkie fueled by blood and cum. That's true. (laughs) Okay. Like that. Do you want the story behind the reaction junkie thing? Absolutely. You know, in the scene, right, you've got people who identify as sadists or tops or, you know, there's all these kinds of labels that are convenient and are a good shorthand and are designed to express what our desire is, right? I want to receive pain or give pain, or I want to, you know, whatever it is, right? Well, I realized that while I play on the left side of the slash, my primary motivation is reaction, right? So reaction can be everything from causing pain and causing suffering all the way through to annoyance or irritation or frustration or, you know, just the idea that we can do these things and get these reactions out of people, even when they're not the traditional S&M reactions, right? It's not the typical pain and suffering. It can be, you know, I've done whole scenes with uh, heavy masochists where they didn't get beat at all but they got frustrated and they got worked up because I would tease them. I would goad them on. I would try to push some of their buttons in ways to try to get them worked up. So I don't identify as a sadist or anything like that. I identify as a reaction junkie. When I play with people, I, uh, I try to build connections with them and figure out what kinds of reactions I can get out of them and what kinds of reactions I might want to get out of them. That's the story behind my label. I wish uh, Baku would put that as a as a label on FetLife. That would be that would be cool. But my requests so far have fallen on deaf ears. Okay. I wonder how many there are of you around the country. I guess maybe our listeners will write in. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. I, I you know, once again, it's so much of what we do in our lifestyle is not binary. Like we don't have a single motivation for the things that we want and do, right? I mean, maybe some people do. Maybe there are people out there that are pure, what we would call pure sadists. All they care about is the pain part of it, right? But I find that people are more complex and their motivations and their wants and desires are more complex than one label might might communicate. Well, you know, the more you talk about it, the more I find that I identify the same way. You know, it's all about the reaction. Absolutely. It's the mind fuck. You know, it's Mm -hmm. playing with them. Absolutely. 
And, you know, maybe you want that to be fear, right? I want someone to, you know, be afraid that they don't know what's going to happen. They should understand uh, from a risk and consent perspective, right? But there's a lot, you know, we, we negotiate in ways that allows for some uh, uncertainty or variation, right? But it could also be frustration. It could be failing to meet expectations in a way that is purposeful and uh, intentional fun, right? It could be any of those number of things, right? We can get to a lot of those things through pain, but we don't have to. And edging kind of falls in that category. Absolutely. Okay. You're part of some organizations in uh, the Jacksonville area, a group called Alternative Lifestyle Enthusiasts? Yeah, that's the group. I'm the head of the committee that runs it. It's a education-based alternative lifestyle support group. We say alternative lifestyle because we're not just kinky. We also, you know, care about and reach out to the LGBTQ plus community, the really alternative lifestyle. But yeah, we we primarily run an education-based program. So we have a monthly meeting that has an educational focus, kind of like a munch, but a munch plus, right? Munch plus class. Um, and then we do a lot of community advocacy. So helping other groups helping run other events or coordinate other events that might be good for the community and reaching out to other parts outside of the kink community, specifically the leather communities and the LGBTQ plus communities to try to offer support. And you're quite a rope enthusiast also. (laughs) Actually, the, the funny story is I'm on staff for a rope event. I'm not interested in rope at all. Okay. There's an oxymoron. (laughs) So it it actually works because if you think about it, right, if you're at a big event at a con, right, the people who are on staff are the people who are working 24-7, need to be completely focused, not distracted, right? And because I'm not into rope, I don't have any conflict about missing classes or missing events or specific activities, within the convention, I'm actually free and my desire and what I get out of it is actually helping run the event, not the things that are happening inside of the event. Service orientation. So it seems counterintuitive to go, well, you know, I don't like rope, but I do, but I help this rope event, but it really works in my favor in that I can focus on doing the work that I'm being asked to do to make the event for all the rope people that do attend awesome. And what convention is this? This is the Florida Intense Rope Experience. We do it every summer in Kissimmee, Florida. That's a big event. Yeah, we've. Uh, this is the third year. So I am the volunteer coordinator. So I wrangle all the cats that help us make the event happen. You know, most of these events, people think, oh, people are making all kinds of money and all these. But the reality is is that nobody's making money on these events. And most of the people doing all the heavy lifting are all volunteers. I do the volunteer coordination, getting people to volunteer for things, making sure people are in the right places, doing the right things, and that people are being taken care of. My wife, Karen, runs the registration and merchandising for the event. So she's in charge of the front desk, how everyone gets checked in, you know, how all the merchandise that we're going to, you know, fulfill or sell on site gets fulfilled or sold. 
and all of that stuff secured. So this past year, we, we it was last month. The event was last month. So we're coming kind of down off of, you know, the the high of the event. We had um, approximately, uh, and I, I didn't see the exact numbers, but I think the estimation was around 500 paid attendees, which it's not a, that's not like blowing up the whole world, right? That's not, it's not a dragon con or anything, right? But it's a, it's a, good event for rope people. We bring people in to instruct and to perform from all over the world, from Canada, United States. We had someone from, I believe he was from Portugal last year. This year, one of our featured performers and instructors were from France. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's rewarding for me because I get to I get to help make this thing happen that touches so many people's lives and influences people. And every year I see people write on FetLife about how they went to fire and they learned this thing that has now changed the game for their tying, or they had experiences or they met people that have changed their lives. And so that's kind of why I do it, despite the fact I don't partake of the rope craft. That's a pretty good size considering it's a specialty convention. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I, and I mean, you know, the rope community nationwide is actually really large, you know, and we've partnered with Bondage Expo Dallas or BED. Uh, we are kind of uh, partnered events in that, you know, we kind of, you know, uh, help each other out and share things. I've done some consultation with people who have run smaller rope events out west. Yeah, there are numerous of these rope-centric, rope-focused events um, throughout the country. And we're, uh, you know, our goal is to try to be the best one, but to try to serve the rope community. It's less about being the best one and more about making sure everyone is safe and presenting programming and content that is relevant to the people that we want to come. Well, let's move into uh, some other areas of service that you do. You uh, teach a lot of things. I do indeed. We've been traveling around a lot primarily in the Southeast, but um, that's expanding as well, uh, trying to spread the word of uh, blood and edge play. Let's see, edge play, like sharp things? I consider edge play, I mean, edge play in, in a broad sense is play that you are not inherently comfortable with. So anything could be edge play depending on your level of comfort and experience. Um, most people that we are targeting, uh, things like piercing or flesh hooks or barbed wire or suturing or things like that tend to be edge play for them. They're coming to these classes because, you know, this is the next thing that they want to do. This is the edge of their comfort and they're trying to expand past it. One thing I saw in your writing here, you use porcupine quills. Yeah. I've been doing play piercing now for about four or five years. Um, and I've done, I, I felt like I kind of got where there wasn't a lot new that I could pursue. I was doing big needles. I was, you know, pushing 10 gauge, eight gauge needles in people. Okay. I was now pushing that's pretty lots, big. Yeah. I was pushing lots of needles, you know, scenes with a hundred, 150 needles in them you know, scenes with long zippers, things like that. And so I decided, well, so where does this go next, right? Like, what is the next horizon for me? And I saw pictures on FetLife of people who were doing piercing with porcupine quills. 
course, my ears perked up, and I said, hey, I bet you I could uh, poke some people with those things. They look like they probably hurt. Um, so I started harassing people on FetLife, and I say harassing jokingly. Started, you know, asking questions and commenting on things and saying, hey, did, would you have some time to tell me about what you know about this thing? I'm interested in it. And so I started talking to those folks and doing some research on my own, primarily veterinary medicine, right? Um, the porcupines are uh, commonly tussle with dogs in the wild. So a lot of what we know about how porcupine quills work and what the medical intervention for them is, is based on how we treat dogs, right? So I kind of had to take a little bit of what we know from that perspective and um, equate it and test it from the human side. But yeah, so I eventually, you know, learned all about the quills, learned about what other people who had been doing this for a long time, what their safety practices were, you know, brought some stuff to mind and then went on Etsy and bought some porcupine quills and started experimenting. Is it like a, a, a fish hook on the end or how does a quill work? There are two types of porcupine. There are North American and then there are um, African. Um, the African porcupines have quills that are sharp, but they're really thick and really long. The North American ones are short and really thin. The difference is the North American ones have microscopic barbs on the end of them. So it's not like a fish hook where it's a noticeable barb. They're a, a bunch of tiny microscopic barbs on the end of it that when it pierces into the skin, right, those barbs like a fish hook barb or, or, or anything else kind of lend resistance to the, the quill coming back out. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite as big as a fish hook in terms of how the barb works, uh, but it's pretty intense. Okay. So you push them into skin or, or do you push through in and out or how's that work? Um, most of it you do just directly in. So like you would consider, you know, pricking your finger with a pin or something like that. They can be used to go through the skin, like you would consider a play piercing scene. Mm -hmm. um, with the African ones, because they're so large and because they're not as sharp as a hypodermic needle, shoving one through somebody's skin requires a lot of effort. Uh, I mean, I've done it, but it wasn't particularly fun even for me in terms of the level of effort required. And a lot of screaming, I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not a bad, that's not a deterrent for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't feel okay. a thing, but, <laughs> um, but, but it was just a matter of, I didn't want to have to do that much effort. So you could use them in that way. I don't find them as efficient in that way as just jamming them in the skin. They don't go in super deep. Um, and like I said, they're not as sharp as a hypodermic needle. So you don't necessarily have to worry about it being, uh, you know, cutting you open when you remove them or anything like that. So you can kind of uh, put them in in a pattern and things like that. Absolutely. Um, when you put them in, you can manipulate them like you might do with a needle in a play piercing scene. You can push on them, pull them, wiggle them, move them. And because it's inside of your skin and because all of those little barbs are also pressing up against the, the upper layer of your skin, the, the sensation is actually pretty interesting in terms of how you can manipulate them. Yeah, you just tell the submissive to get up and dance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or you put them in some kind of predicament, right? Where you put like, um, I did a class recently, and I don't remember where it was, but we did a uh, we did a class about porcupine quills, and my bottom, my partner, 
I put a bunch of quills in her feet. Ugh. And then I said, oh, well, could you walk over to over there and grab me a, you know, a bottle of water? Right. And the whole, you know, like people who do anything with piercing or sharps, you don't really know how your body moves until you've got something sharp jammed into your skin and you get to feel how your body moves in ways that you don't anticipate. So I've done needle scenes with people and they'll go and, you know, they'll get up and they think that they're fine because where the needles are, they assume, you know, they're not going to get poked or whatever, but, oh, they're using muscles and parts of their bodies are moving that they didn't think were moving or being used. And now, yeah, that's uncomfortable. So same thing with quills. And you had one other thing on the list here of sharp objects, barbed wire. Yeah. So barbed wire is fun. Um, barbed wire is, uh, once again, one of those things that can be really intense, but is not nearly as dangerous as people think it is. You know, there, there are certainly risks involved. Um, you know, the cleanliness, you have to have a pretty thorough cleanliness regimen to try to minimize any risk of infection. There are certainly best practices and the ways you can use barbed wire and mitigate some risk, but it, it also can be really fun. I think a lot of the intensity of it comes from the idea of what the thing is. Um, you know, so like people who play with fire or, um, you know, any uh, electricity, um, you know, the people that play with like liquid nitrogen or chemicals, the people that do like capsaicin and stuff like that, they're playing with these chemicals and they're bringing to bear a level of knowledge about those things, hopefully, that transcends what the average person understands. So, you know, like people say, oh, well, you do the violet wand. Well, I could never do that because I don't want to be electrocuted. And they see a cartoon image in their head of, you know, the guy sticking the, you know, the fork in the light socket and him convulsing and his body, you know, lighting up and you can see a skeleton. That's what people assume, right? And, but it turns out that like we can do electricity play pretty safely. Barbed wire is the same way. People think about, oh, well, we played with barbed wire. My skin would get cut open and the stuff would stick in me and you can't get it out. And this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the reality is, is that not really, right? If you, you know, use some common sense and, you know, which maybe is not so common these days, but, you know, pay attention and use some common sense. Uh, and, you know, employ a little bit of uh, a little bit of caring about the bottom. You can do this stuff and it'd be really intense. I went and did a class, a barbed wire class, and um, I took one of my partners who bottoms for me for classes, but hates sharps play. She doesn't she doesn't want to get poked with needles. She doesn't want to do she doesn't want to do suturing. She doesn't want any of that stuff. But she volunteered to do the barbed wire thing kind of at the last minute. And we did the barbed wire class. And uh, part of the class, I do a kind of a little demo on bondage with barbed wire. So I take her and I put her on a like a massage table. And then I wrap barbed wire around her and the massage table to bind her to the table. And she loved it. And I, I totally didn't expect that she would love it, but she loved it. She loved the bondage component of it. She liked that she could get that intensity and the sharp and pokey with a bondage element to it. So, 
Yeah, barbed wire for me is fun because I get to mess with people and people get to go, oh, you play with barbed wire. That's crazy. You know, so I get a reaction out of people I'm playing with as well as people who are watching or observing. But also it's it's just really fun to, for me, I think about doing, and I've actually started talking a lot about this, about doing what I call kinky science, right? How do we push the boundaries of what we do in our communities with regards to things like trying porcupine quills, figuring out bar, how to you play with barbed wire, figuring out how to do all of these things. You know, everything we do at one point was unknown. And there still are not a lot of good, like, this is the definitive guide to flogging type situations, right? So a lot of what I do these days really equates to kind of having people who are brave enough and love me enough to uh, to sacrifice their bodies to my kinky science so that I can try to figure these things out and then show people how to do it in ways that they won't uh, maim or hurt their people. Well, that is uh, an amazing thing to uh, explore, the science of uh, BDSM. You uh, also uh, identify as polyamorous. That's correct. I have four partners currently. Um, one of them is my wife who I live with. And then I have two partners with whom I have varying levels of power exchange relationships. And then I have a fourth partner who our involvement engagement as far is significantly less intense. We, uh, both sort of, you know, we, we, are dating, we play, we have sex, but we are not each other's, you know, emotion, primary emotional anchors. So yeah, we I've been doing I've been practicing polyamory for probably eight years now. It's a lot of work, but it's rewarding. You know, people look at uh, a poly person and go, "Oh, that's so cool that you get all that sex, you get all that." Uh, you know. <laughs> they don't understand that there is a calendar involved and lots of other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. It's it, people imagine that it's all these like. Oh, you've got four partners. So like every night you're having this crazy orgy where you're having sex with four women and like, you're like the, you know, you've got this harem of, and the reality is, is that a lot of it is just like any other relationship. It's, you know, date night on the couch, watching mm-hmm. Netflix and eating, you know, Chinese takeout food. It's, you know, helping people when they have a bad day. Um, you know, loving people when things go wrong. Right. We always see in these types of things, the fantasy that when everything is going to go right. Um, but a lot of the times things don't go right and that's okay. I find pleasure in loving the people that I love, even when I'm not my best self or they're not their best selves, but it is a lot of work. And yeah, speaking of the calendaring thing, I'm actually teaching a class at the Florida power exchange in Tampa next weekend about the technological tools that I use to help manage my poly. So between time management and information management, um, I have a sort of a practice set up and I've played with all of the various tools. And I'm, so I'm going to teach a class where I kind of open up the kimono and show people how I manage all this stuff and give them some ideas for how they can manage, uh, better manage their poly life. Well, it's getting the ideas out so that people can then modify them to fit what their needs are. Absolutely. Or just, you know, once again, uh, I, I say a lot that what I do has far less to do with 
educating people and far more to do with showing them what is possible. Right. So like, even if they don't learn anything from me, they might learn that something is possible. They might have an idea in their head that they wanted to do something. And maybe they come to a class or they hear me talk or they see me play and they, and they can come to the realization that those things that they wondered if they were possible or if they were just pipe dreams that exist in their head, right. Can be made real. And a lot of what we do in the poly community is the same thing, right. Is trying to sort of lead by example have good relationships and show people what is possible. And sometimes that's just a matter of showing them uh, a new tool or a new technique or a new idea that they can then, like you said, go home, you know, your mileage may vary, adapt it for their own purposes and make their lives a little better. You certainly have your fingers in a lot of things and, mm -hmm. and people in this case. Um, <laughs> yes. It, it keeps you busy. Absolutely. And actually this year, I, I started focusing on the travel and the teaching thing this year. And I have a lot of passion for it and a lot of drive for it right now. So I'm trying to strike while the iron is hot and taking a lot of opportunities to travel and to meet people because I understand myself enough to know that fire is going gonna, is gonna to burn a little less hot pretty soon. But, you know, we've spent most of the year pretty much going somewhere or doing something every weekend. And that's that for me and for my partners, that's just not sustainable, but I don't envision ever stopping, you know, teaching and trying to meet new people and, and understand new communities and help better support the community that I live in. That is uh, certainly a commendable pile of things for you to get into. And Rob, I wanted to thank you for being flexible because we were talking about Polly and, and people's needs. Yesterday, I had to take one of my partners to the hospital and Rob graciously changed the record night to the next night so everybody could get served. In the Polly lifestyle, you know, we are ready to take care of the people that we love. Absolutely. What we need is for our other partners and the other people in our lives to also leave some space to allow us to do that, right? So there's sometimes there's some compromise. I'll have one partner who, you know, it's not our scheduled date night. It's, it's in fact, another partner scheduled date night, but the first partner is really in crisis. They've had a horrible day or some kind of life event, or, you know, they, they don't feel well. And so one of the things that I need is not only the flexibility in myself, to be able to change directions and say, this person really needs me more than this other person, but I need the other person, the other partner to understand that as well. And so the idea of like, well, you know, let's do this thing the following day was kind of a no brainer for me because it, that happens relatively frequently in my life, um, you know, between my personal relationships and all of the things that I'm trying to be involved in, in our communities that, you know, sometimes there are things that are more important than recording a podcast or, you know, me teaching a class. And, you know, we have to put our people first and do things like, you know, take them to the hospital or, you know, get them care or care for them, especially when it's something like that, something that's urgent and immediate and potentially detrimental to someone's well-being. And in the end, they will be around when the podcast might not be. Absolutely. And they're another living human being that deserves compassion 
and attention and um and consideration beyond uh, the things that we're creating and putting out in the world for others right so it's one of those things where it's like do i take care of a person or do i create something new the thing that i create new like this podcast might reach a bunch of people but i'm kind of extricated from that a little bit and i and i don't get to feel the level of compassion and the level of care and that aspect that i do in taking care of of this human being that's right in front of me, this person who needs me and needs someone to care about them and someone to be their person. On that note, I am going to go be with one of my persons right now. <laughs> and I thank you for joining me tonight and uh, being flexible in your scheduling. Thank you. And uh, thank one of your partners that we may have screwed up on that one. Actually, I, ironically enough, I'm sitting, uh, it's date night with one of my partners, and I'm sitting alone in her office at her house, recording with you, and she's out watching Tarzan on Netflix. Well, it, it's time for you to go uh, do the Tarzan <laughs> yell and uh, go to the next level. Absolutely. All right, Rob, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was fun. You have been listening to episode 297 of the kinky cast for more information about this show go to kinkycast.com views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints the kinky cast is a production of rooster in the round on behalf of all our kinky crew i'm max join us next week when we present find me in the sun a change of life